Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all out this morning. Uh, Note to file, we're not going to do any more (laughs) sports-based sermon series. Every time I get up here, I get lambasted by one of the crew. It's just like taking shots at me. Anyway, so this is for you couch potatoes everywhere. Thank you very much. All right, we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and so we're going to dive right in. Um, I, had a, I had a great week. I hope you had a great week. I was able to go out, shout out to the Reese's. They had me out doing some combining, and by combining, I mean I just sat in the jump seat and kind of watched what was going on. Um, and we had meals in the field, which is awesome. So um, if there's food involved, I'll be there. So I hope you're enjoying the fall like we are. It, it was beautiful. It's been the Weather's been awesome, and um, that's been really cool. So anyway, I'm enthused about that. I'm enthused about this ministry year. We've started a ministry year where we're focusing on growing in our desire and our ability to be doers of the Word, not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And to that end, then, we have launched this fall with this series called The Just Do It. The Just Do It. And it's based on the book of Ephesians. So if you haven't been able to be along with us um, so far, let me just catch you up really quickly. We looked at the chapter one. In chapter one, Paul begins the book of Ephesians by outlining God's purpose and plan and what he's given us primarily through Christ Jesus, that he's given us new life in Christ. And to that end, he's established then a new community of man. For everyone that comes to faith in Christ There's this new community, a a, a new humanity, if you will, different from the rest of humanity in that now this humanity is alive because he's been teaching, Paul was teaching, that we are dead in sin. And then ultimately, Paul says that God's plan is to reconcile his people under Christ, that he's going to reconcile all of this new humanity and creation under Christ, which provokes him then to pray in the latter half of of the chapter He prays for those that he is writing to, both then and now. Last week, then, Bruce walked us through the first half of chapter 2, where Paul pulls back, if you will, for a a big-picture view of God's grace, how that man is dead in sin, and he gets right into the nitty-gritty here that we are all dead in sin, and that then through Christ, that God's grace has been extended to us, and he's given us the potential of new life, that we can be pulled out of the deadness that we're experiencing by virtue of our sin, that we can be given new life in Christ, and that then, again, God, by His grace, will work in us to build us into the people that He intends for us to be so that we can then live for Him as His ambassadors. In the second half, then, of chapter 2, Paul points out 
that by our faith in Christ that we are now one people. There are no divisions. We've been unified. And that we're to be peaceful as His people. And we're going to come back and look at that next week. So we're not going to spend too much time here. But stay tuned for that. Which then brings us then, if you will, to chapter 3 where we see that Paul is once again drawn to pray. But before he can begin to pray, he's struck by another thought which detours him momentarily takes him off on a different tangent. And so before I can get detoured on a different tangent here and on another thought, let's us stop and pray this morning as we go into the rest of this message. So would you bow with me? Father, today as we come before you, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this beautiful fall. We thank you for the way that we are able to enjoy so many different things through our seasons and through life as we know it in this part of the country. We pray for those that are down east that they, you would be watching over them, that you'd be caring for them in this storm. Um, and we're thankful, Lord, that we can enjoy a, a sunny day today and not have to na navigate that, but we pray for them in that. We also thank you, Lord, for your word, for the way that you have spoken into our life lives through Paul in the book of Ephesians. We pray that you would come now upon us and that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes and our ears to things of you in a different way, that we would understand you and know you better and differently today. And we ask these things all now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. So Paul is about to pray when he's struck by this other thought and prompted to speak even more definitively about the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's people by way of the gospel. So as he's been talking, he's been unpacking that, this new humanity that God's been building. And he's prompted again to, to, to speak to the fact that now the Gentiles have been brought into the family of God. And he lays that out in the first six verses of chapter 3, during which time he uses this word mystery three times. Three times he refers to this mystery. And it helps us today to understand that there is a difference from what you and I would understand is the definition of mystery and what Paul speaks of when he's talking about mystery. What mystery means in the Greek. We think of mystery as something that we don't understand, something that's mysterious that we can't comprehend. John Stott helps us to understand better that when Paul speaks of mystery in the Greek, what that means is that it's a truth that has been revealed into which people have been initiated. So that as a mystery comes along, if you will, it's something that has been revealed to us as true and that now we're brought into that and we can understand what we couldn't have understood on our own before. So as Paul is talking about this mystery, then generally speaking, he's talking about Christ. He's talking about the fact that God has now revealed to us truth. We've been initiated into the truth of Christ, which we wouldn't have been able to understand before, but he has been able to now reveal that to us. So he's revealed to us Jesus Christ. And in that, in Jesus, then we are able to, to see He's revealed to us also His purpose and His plan. So, more specifically then, even than, the, than that, as, as, as you read Paul in different areas, he speaks of mystery. That's generally, categorically what he's talking about. 
but he'll speak about it in more specific terms. So more specifically even here now, Paul is referring to the mystery, which is the establishment of the church. This whole new idea that God's people would no longer just be the Israelites, the Jewish people, but that God's people would now be from every tribe and from every nation, from every tongue, from all corners of the earth, as they come to faith in Christ. And this mystery has been revealed that this family of God has been extended. It's been opened up to all of mankind should they choose, if they choose, to place their faith in Jesus. Now we're going to come back to this sort of in a minute, but let's pick it up now in verse 7 of chapter 3. And there's a number of points that we're going to... That Paul makes from verse 7 to verse 13, but for the sake of time this morning, we're going to limit looking at just a couple. So chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 13 says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power, Paul says. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles, to the Gentiles the boundless riches in Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So let's stop there. Paul here twice makes note of the gift of grace given to him by God. The gift of grace given to him by God. In the first reference, Paul is referring to the grace of God that has made him a new person through Jesus Christ. That he has been brought to life. That God has given him life. In his grace, he has given Paul life. He is no longer dead in sin. In the second reference, Paul is referring to God's gift of grace to preach the riches of Christ. So he's referred to these two gifts of grace. One, that he's been brought out of death into life. And secondly, that he's been given the responsibility, the honor, if you will, of going out and preaching to the Gentiles about the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's very cool. But we need to understand here this morning that even though Paul is referring to himself in this instance, as this is a subjective look, sort of an autobiography, if you will, of what's going on in Paul's life, we also have been given those same two gifts today. Those two, same two gifts of grace. We have been saved by God's grace. As we have come to the point where we place our faith in Jesus Christ, accept from Him His death on our part so that He could pay our, the penalty of our sin. And as we trust Him for that, place our faith in Him, then we have been given this gift of grace of new life where Christ has moved us from dead to alive. Secondly, though, even though we're not apostles, and there is a distinction, we nonetheless, by God's grace, are to share the gospel with others today. And we find that specifically, you can go, we find that throughout Scripture, but you can find it very specifically in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. 
where it tells us that we've been given the, the ministry of reconciliation, where you and I are able to go out and share the gospel with the world around us, and therein becoming ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we need to see this, and as Paul speaks about himself, then we need to recognize that we have those same two gifts given to us as well. Those same two gifts of grace are ours, and therefore it is not just Paul and the apostles that were charged then with the responsibility of going out and sharing with the world around us and around them the good news of Jesus Christ, but that you and I have been given that task, that duty, that responsibility, that honor as well. Just like Paul also our inabilities, our inadequacies, which is to say our past, our detriments, those things that we have in our character that are flaws, our insufficiencies, those things that within ourselves that we don't possess, those things are not enough to dwarf the grace of God in giving us the ability to share the gospel. So as Paul talks about being the least of these, and as he is saying that, he's talking about his past where he's, he's persecuted Christians, where he's worked actively against Jesus Christ, where he talks about the fact that he's not qualified, the least of these, to be able to be out there preaching the gospel then we need to also look at ourselves and recognize the same thing in you and I today. That everything that stands in our minds in opposition to us being able to do this job of sharing the gospel is dwarfed by God's grace. God's grace comes along and He overwhelms us in that, making our past inconsequential, our inabilities inconsequential, our inadequacies inconsequential our insufficiencies inconsequential because he's overwhelmed us by our grace. A while ago, I don't know if you remember it, this is a couple of years ago now at Christmas, SportsCheck was, was um, I, I thought it was just an, a, an excellent promotion. They, were, they had this little promotion on right around Christmas time where if you went up to the till and you said snowman at the till, you got your purchase for I think it was half price. Right? And, and so I thought it was brilliant. Like, I don't think that they did any kind of advertising other than somewhere along the way they started this news out there that you had to just say snowman today and you could get your, your purchase for half price. I was out there, when we went out, just happened to fluke out that we were there that time, and, and no less than three people came up to me, total strangers, total strangers, came up to me in the store and said, you know about snowman, right? And I'm going like, no, what's, what about snowman? They said, well, if you say snowman at the till, you get your purchase for half price. And let me tell you something. Never once did I ask them about what their past was. Okay, wait, wait a second. Who are you and what have you done in your life? Tell me all the, all the, all the mess, all the muck. Never once did I tell them, ask them about, well, so, you know, what aren't you very good at? Never once, never once did I ask them about, well, what are, what are the things that you would like to be better in? 
that you really don't, you know, you don't have in your toolbox right now. I didn't care about that. They told me about snowman. I was going to get my purchase for half price. Their past was inconsequential. Their inadequacies were inconsequential. Their insufficiencies were inconsequential. The point was snowman. So I went up to the till and I said, snowman. And I got my orange coat for half price. Everybody asks me now if I'm hunting whenever I wear it. If you haven't seen it yet, stick around. There's something to look forward to. By the time I got home that night, I was getting texts. Did you hear about snowman at Sportcheck? We've got this message of Jesus Christ, that he is making people alive that were dead. And when we can tell people about that, they're not going to worry about our past. They're not going to ask about our insufficiencies. They're not going to be concerned about our inadequacies. By God's grace, he's given us this honor of sharing that good news with him. We need to do it. Just like Paul, just like the rest of the apostles, we need to wear that badge of honor and go out and get it done. So by the grace of God, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel is now the responsibility of the church, which is to say, you and me. You need to go out and share it. I need to go out and share it. Together, we need to go out and share it. And as we do, we become doers of the word. We move from being hearers into being doers of the word. Let's carry on. Verses 10 now to 13. His intent was that now, this is, okay, Paul talking about God. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. That last line there is he's just saying, hey, don't be discouraged that I'm in prison. He started this section by talking about the fact that he was a prisoner and this is kind of the thought that got him off the, the rails a little bit. He said, don't, don't be discouraged about the fact that I'm in prison. Sometimes we get discouraged as we look around and we see some of the challenges and the, the headaches, the, the hardships that we go through in the faith or what have you. And we look at somebody maybe out there and we think to ourselves, oh, look at, look at what happened to them. I don't know if I really want to get involved. And Paul's saying, don't, don't be discouraged on account of me. And indeed, we shouldn't be because Paul wrote the prison epistles while he was in prison, while he was in detained and house arrest. He, God accomplished significant things through him through that. So Paul's saying, among other things here, but he outlines again for us the significance of the church as he tells us that it is by the church that God is demonstrating his manifold wisdom to the angels. Now, there's a mind blow for you today. This is so significant. God has determined that through his plan to build the church, 
That is, his body of believers, you and I, those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, that his plan, and through his plan to build the church, that his wisdom would be made known to the angels of heaven. That you and I are a demonstration today of God's wisdom as we step up and become his body, the church. Now, this begs all kinds of questions and considerations. But for the sake of time again this morning, most importantly, what it does, most importantly what it does, and we can never lose sight of it, is that it points to the centrality of the church in God's mind. It points to the centrality of the church as demonstrated by God himself, as determined by God himself. Over the last number of years in this day and age, we have come to that point where we emphasize salvation and our faith in very individual terms and perspectives. Where we talk about my faith, how it plays out for me, how I understand it, how I interpret it, how I pursue it. And in so doing, maybe by accident, we've marginalized the church. We've downplayed the significance of the church, which is us coming together as Christ's body. And it's even become in vogue to criticize the church, to criticize organized religion. And to think that we can then somehow pursue our faith apart from the church. That I can just be the church on my own. This morning, I think that we have to be really careful because we're on dangerous ground there. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. As we come to faith in Christ, we're designed to be a part of his body. And so with that in mind, I think the churches and church leadership or what have you out there need to go back to teaching the significance of the church. For our part, we have to be underlining for people the church's centrality so that it can be understood as such, so that we don't miss it, so that we don't marginalize it, so that we don't undermine or miss God's intent in the church the significance of what he's doing, what he's purposed, and what he's planned through this body, the church. Which leads then to even more important consideration this morning, that if the church is really central to God's plan, and I believe that it is, then you and I need to lean into the church and God's plan for the church today. Already this morning, we've seen or talked about how the church, which is you and I again, how we are central and integral to God's purpose and plan. We've seen 
or at least I talked about it a little bit, we'll talk about it more again next, next week, that we're to be characterized by peace and unity as representatives of who God is. That we are charged with spreading the gospel to the world around us so that more people can be enveloped into the church. That we're to be the demonstration of his manifold witness, of his wisdom, manifold wisdom, which is to say the church is huge today. The church is huge. And at this point, as you look around at the state of the church, you might be thinking that God doesn't look so smart. As you look around and you see the failings of the church and the issues of the church, that God isn't looking quite as astute as He would present here. As you think about the church and as you consider the church in your mind, your experience with the church or whatever, maybe you're even doubting what I'm saying here. Well, that's really not what Paul is saying at all. I don't, I'm not buying it. And maybe even it's causing you to justify doing your own thing. No, the church is messed up. I'm way better off doing my own thing. I can flirt with it where I want to, but I can just cut my own path, play it out the way that I want to. Let me just see if I can speak to that for just a minute. You know, when I don't do my mathematics right, and I add up two and two and get five, it isn't Archimedes that looks like the dummy. It's me. I'm the one that looks, looks like the dummy. It's not the inventor of mathematics that takes the hit. I'm still the one that takes the hit. So mathematics isn't the problem. I am. Therefore, I best learn to do the math. I need to learn to do the math. And this morning, I appreciate the fact this sounds like an advertisement for FBC. Doug's up here just pumping FBC's tires. And it's really not what I'm trying to accomplish. And, and I understand, and I'll admit, that the church, primarily locally, even to a certain extent universally, has its issues. There's no doubt about it. Every church has its issues and its shortcomings and its failures. FBC does, and every other one as well. I don't have to look far. I can look at myself to see that fact. So I'm not pretending that everything is perfect. But what I'm saying is that when we decide to criticize and malign the church in what we do and or even what we don't do, intentionally and or unintentionally, by virtue of our ignorance or what have you, we are often crossing into territory where we are taking shots at God and His plan more than anything else. And so I would venture to say that we best be very careful in that. And far better would be us working every bit as hard as we can 
to try and improve it. Rather than taking shots at the church, that we would find one to get involved in, in where we fit best and that we would then try with all our might to make it into the best church going. That we would be the best representation of this entity, this institution that God has created that is so central to his plan. So that we would be able to be effective in our job. To show people who God is. To help them come to know Jesus Christ. And then to be a demonstration of God's manifold wisdom. With that in mind, it brings us to our next verses, verses 14 to 19. And here we find from Paul two more key points about how we can be effective as the church. How we can be doers of the word and then, and then fulfill God's purpose and plan in and through us. Verse 14 carries on. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father. And from here he finally gets back to his plan to pray. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Which is to say in the Greek, what he's saying there is that every person is created by God. Every person stems from God. Their impetus is in God, so every person, every family comes from Him. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may be strength, that He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Can't see. So Paul has been giving us some clear insights into the significance of the church. But as part now of this new community, those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, Paul is now giving us some key insights into how we're to successfully fill our role as a part of the church. And over and over already in Ephesians, Paul has pointed us to the significance of God's grace. It is by God's grace that we've been included in His plan. It is by His grace that we will be able to fulfill our purpose in His plan. But here, we are reminded now of two more key components to our success in accomplishing our part in this new community. Number one, Paul kneels to pray. Kneeling wasn't the typical posture in Paul's time. Most people prayed standing up. Kneeling was a demonstration of his utmost desire. Kneeling was something that you did only for the things that were so central to what you were looking for, so that you desired so much that it drove you to your knees. 
to pray. And such it is with Paul. Earlier, Paul reminded us that we can approach God with freedom and confidence, which in the Greek means with no fear and no shame. And Paul does this now. He comes before God with no fear and no shame. And he boldly approaches God to pray for the people that he's writing to that they would know what he's writing about. That they would be able to live up to what he's writing about, what he's telling us. This morning, church family, for us to ever hope to begin to live up to our calling as God's people, for us to live up to the challenge of being doers of the word and not just hearers, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to boldly come before God and ask that God would work in us by His Spirit to turn us into the people that He desires us to be so that we can get this done. We need to pray for ourselves and we need to pray for one another. It wouldn't just be me, but it would be we as we pray, both. This is the second time in these three short chapters that Paul has been moved to pray. The scope and the significance of God's plan for his people has driven Paul to his knees, and it needs to drive us to our knees as well. And if it doesn't drive us to our knees today, then pray that you would be overcome, that God would work in your heart so that you would be able to see the scope and the significance of God's plan. His purpose in the church and in you and I. That he would reveal that to us so that we would be able to understand the significance so that then we would be driven to our knees and pray that we would be able to accomplish it. Second thing, quickly, is as Paul prays, he prays for God's power. So oftentimes when we pray, we pray for a lot of other things other than God's power. And once more here, if we're ever going to measure up to the church, God's purpose and plan in it, then we are going to need God's power working in us. Because there is nothing, there is nothing in and of ourselves that is up to the task for this mission that God's given us. We're nowhere near sufficient. So we need to go to Him for that. In both Paul's prayers, chapter 1 and now, He's devoted much of his prayer to petitioning God for his power. And it's not just some sort of energizer or Duracell battery power that Paul's praying for. That's not the type of power that Paul's looking for. He appeals to God 
that we would know the same power in us that raised Christ from the dead. And Duracells and Energizers ain't going to get that done. But Paul's praying that we would know the same power in us that raised Christ from the dead. And not just that power. Not just that power. But also the power that raised Christ from the dead and then seated him in heaven and placed him over everything as the authority over all. King of everything. The whole kit and caboodle. And Paul prays that you and I would know that power which is to say that we can. That we can go after that kind of power. Smarter men than I have pointed out that this is a bold and audacious prayer. And I dare say that we need to be praying bold and audacious prayers if we're going to live up to our mandate as a church. So it's time, kids. Sorry. Church family and friends. are talking like I am at home. It's time that we got down on our knees and said, okay, God, listen. I'm serious about this whole doer thing, but I'm not up to the task. I need your help today. I need your power today in my life. And that we make that a priority in our prayers day by day by day by day. For us to be doers and not just hearers of the word, we need his spirit to come upon us and change us. We need to know, as Paul prays, the power of, the power of knowing him and his love, knowing God and his love. We need to know the power of his presence by his spirit. And again, smarter people than I have pointed out that yes, absolutely, as we accept Christ, his spirit comes to live within us, but it's a growing scale. That Christ living in us doesn't mean that we necessarily completely understand right off the hop all that goes with that, the potential that is that. And that's something that we have to grow into, that we have to work with God in so that the Holy Spirit can grow our potential as he resides in us. And we need to know the power to, we need to be praying for the power to love like God that we would be revolutionized so that when we go out into this world that we see things completely differently, that we can love like Jesus Christ loves. And what's more, that we would, be, we would have the power to be filled with his fullness, which is, again, this is probably the craziest part of this whole prayer, that we would be filled with the fullness of Christ's perfection. That you and I would come to know the perfection that is Jesus Christ in yours and my life today. So as we close, would you allow me to pray Paul's prayer for us today? Bow with me. In our hearts, we kneel before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is created. I pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in 
love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to you, Father, who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, to you, God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Hope to see some of you at least back for engaging a little bit. And for those that aren't going to be there, well then, I hope to see you next week. Have a great week till then.